reading this morning is from Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Please stand as we read God's word. Consider the work of God who can make straight what he has made crooked. In the day of prosperity be joyful, and in the day of adversity consider. God has made the one as well as the other so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. In my vain life I have seen everything. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness, and there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in his evil doing. Be not overly righteous, and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Be not overly wicked, neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? It is good that you should take hold of this, and from that withhold not your hand. For the one who fears God shall come out from both of them. Wisdom gives strength to the wise man more than ten rulers who are in a city. Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Do not take to heart all the things that people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. Your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed others. All this I have tested by wisdom. I said, I will be wise, but it was far from me. That which has been is far off and deep, very deep. Who can find it out? I turn my heart to know and to search out and to seek wisdom and the scheme of things and to know the wickedness of folly and the foolishness that is madness. And I find something more bitter than death, the woman whose heart is snares and nets and whose hands are fetters. He who pleases God escapes her, but the sinner is taken by her. Behold, this is what I found, says the preacher, while adding one thing to another to find the scheme of things, which my soul has sought repeatedly, but I have not found. One man among a thousand I found, but a woman among all these I have not found. See, this alone I found, that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can have a seat as you do. Um, if you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to get it out and open it up to Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Uh, my name is Derek. I'm one of the pastors here. And in your chair as you came in this morning, you would have found this card. Um, at some point in our gathering, if you wouldn't mind filling out that card, we'd love to connect with you sometime this next week. There's some things you can check on there if you'd like, but if you don't want to check any of those things, uh, getting your information enables us to share our story with you. We're a little over a year and a half old church plant here in the Crowley, uh, Burleson area, and we'd love to share with you our story and connect with you, hear your story as well. Um, and this card enables us to do that well, to get coffee, have lunch, dinner, whatnot, meet you, connect with you. Um, and then on the back side is a prayer card. If there's particular things that are, are burdensome or heavy or challenging uh, needs you have, we would love to join you in praying for those things. And this card is a really helpful way for us to do that. That every Tuesday, as Pastor Brandon and myself gather um, to start that work week, we pray specifically over these things, and, uh, and we'd love to join you in prayer for those. So if you wouldn't mind taking a few moments to fill out that card at some point, and this morning, we'd love to connect with you. Uh, a few things you can do with it. You can either dr drop it in that black box in the back. You can bring it directly to myself or Pastor Brandon. Or you can do it digitally with the QR code that's on the, on the bottom of that. Um, we've been walking through the book of Ecclesiastes since the second, third week of January. Uh, specifically, 
um, the book of Ecclesiastes is a unique book in the Bible. It falls under this wisdom literature written by a man named Solomon who was the third king of Israel. Uh, and God gave Solomon a remarkable supernatural level of wisdom that he then used to search out the world to ask this one question. Is there anything under the sun in the natural created world that will satisfy the heart of man? Is there anything in all of the world? And he not only had the wisdom, but he also had the skill to then test out that uh, exact thing. He went about his life, and like we see here, we read just a few minutes ago, he has seen everything, he has done everything there is to be done, he has learned the things to be learned, and, and in all of those ways, uh, he comes to this conclusion. Vanity of vanities, emptiness, that, that a life seeking to be satisfied by things under the sun leaves the human soul still empty, not satisfied. And, and, and halfway through, where we're at in chapter 7, he uh, invites us into a, a space where all of us find ourselves in life. That every one of us find ourselves at times, at seasons, at moments where we ask hard questions about God. We ask hard questions about, about life, about how God and this particular circumstance mesh together. We ask those hard questions. It's typically it's something in the line of like, why are things the way that they are? I can remember a time or season in our life uh, where uh, there was a lot of pain, a lot of loss, a lot of suffering. There was a decade of time spent investing into uh, things that... Um, came to a crashing halt. Um, there was all kinds of hurtful things, conflict, slander, all kinds of just really hurtful things going on. And it was weird. We were like, what? what in the world is happening? Like, why is this happening? Like, like, we're carrying ourselves as best as we can in accordance with your word, God. Why is it seem like the things that we've given our life to over the last decade are falling apart. Like, why is this happening? Why are we experiencing this pain, this grief, this loss of a decade of investment of our lives? Why? Like, why is this happening? And, and over the years after processing that with some pastors that uh, are just wonderful men of God, um, I sat in the car after lunch with one of them one day. And he... Uh, uh, just like in me trying to reconcile this season of hurt that we had walked through with the future of my life and going, well, like, I feel like I got to go and fix this and then I can move forward. And, and Ryan, friend of mine, he goes, Derek, uh, what you're describing is like your life is a rope and, and there's a knot in the rope now. And you look back at that knot and you're like, man, if I could just untie that knot, then it would be okay and I could go forward. And he goes, sometimes there's knots in our rope. And God's intent is for us to live with the knot there. Not to fix the knot so that we can live forward with a smooth, lined light, or smooth line in life. Oftentimes, the pathway that the Lord has us on has knots in the rope. It has things that we didn't want, that we didn't expect, that seem maybe to even come out of nowhere, or they might be consequences of things that we've done, and they are crooked. They're bends, they're, they're things that make us ask why. 
is this happening? It might be the death of a loved one. It might be uh, a, a change in career. It, might, it could be any number of things that make us stop and go, why? It could be a sickness. It could be a, a physical ailment that you have that makes us look back and go, why? And so Solomon, looking at life under the sun, looking at everything in the created world, specifically at the human life, he asks this question, why? Why is life so often crooked? And literally meaning crooked. Like, it's not straight. It's not smooth. It's not just going along. He says this in verse 13. Consider the work of God. Who can make straight what He has made crooked? So what do we do? And this is what Solomon's getting at. What do we do with the reality that all of our stories in life have moments that we look back on and are like, that was crooked. That was, like, that was painful. It was uncomfortable. It was hurtful. There was suffering. And it wasn't, it wasn't smooth. It wasn't straight or right, but it was bent in some way that it feels like it shouldn't have been. How do we make sense of that? How do we make sense of those hard moments? How do we make sense of suffering? How do we make sense of, of, of life when things don't seem to be following a straight pathway? How do we make sense of God in it? And so Solomon, in his wisdom, invites us into that very question. When life seems backwards or upside down or crooked, where's God at? Where's God at in it? What's God doing in it? Why? And we're going to look at this specifically in three places. So here's, here's the nutshell point. In the gospel, God is working to straighten out what has been made crooked. That's the, the main point of this morning. In the gospel, God is working to straighten out what has been crooked. And we're going to see Solomon point out the crooked backwardness in specifically three areas. In prosperity and adversity, in the death of the righteous, and in the way of mankind. That in prosperity and adversity, there seems to be some crookedness. In the death of righteous people, there seems to be some crookedness. It shouldn't be that way. And in the way of mankind, how we carry ourselves, there seems to be some crookedness, things that are not right within us. And so let's walk through these and let's see the work of God. Let's consider the work of God um, in the crooked things that we experience under the sun in our lives. First one, prosperity and adversity. He says this in verse 13. If you want to follow along, it'll be on the screen. We'll read through 14. Consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he made crooked? In the day of prosperity, be joyful. And in the day of adversity, consider. God has made the one as well as the other, so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. Solomon begins with this declaration about who God is, his character and his nature, in crooked things, in bent, wrong, like what do we do with this, hard moments in life. And he says, who can make straight what he has made crooked, implying that in crooked moments, in bent, out of shape, hard moments in life, 
either God has allowed or directly caused those. That He is sovereign over everything under the sun and not blind to or out of control in any crooked moment that we experience. That He is sovereign over them all and He either allows or He either directly does those things. Which then causes us to ask the question, like, well, wait a second. Why? Well, that's what we're doing today. We're asking why. Like, why? Why those things? Think about if you've read or heard the story of Job. A lot of horrible things happened to Job. God didn't cause any of those, but He did allow those. And specifically with prosperity and adversity, if you think about life, there are some days that are filled with prosperity. There are. There are some days when things are going really well. When things are going well, you're fruitful in your work, you finish the day at 5 o'clock or whenever you finish, and you're like, this was a good day. There are days when your relationships are rolling along smoothly, everybody's happy, we're all joyful, we're friends, nobody's upset, and everything's good. There's days when there's plenty, maybe even excess money in your bank account. There's days, be them few maybe, when your kids listen and obey. (laughs) There's days when food is so good. There's days when you maybe even have extra time. (laughs) Where there's margin. There's days when you feel physically good. There's days when you feel full of energy. That there are days of prosperity that we experience. There are. Every one of us. Those days are great. Like vacations sell you on the fact that every one of those days is going to be like that. It's not. But nonetheless, like there are days of prosperity for us that we have where we're, we just, everything seems to be going well. But then there's also days full of adversity. There's days when there might be food on the table, but our bank accounts are empty. There's days when work is hard and not enjoyable. There's days when vacation is even boring. There's days when you feel lonely and like you have no friends. There's days that you feel physically sick and unwell. There's days when it seems like every relationship you have is blowing up or about to blow up. And on and on and on and on. That every one of us experience Days, seasons, and times of prosperity where things are going great, and days and seasons of times when it feels like the train is falling off the tracks and everything's just scattered about and we don't know what to do, throw your hands up and just kind of quit. That every one of us experience days of prosperity and days of adversity. And Solomon's wisdom for us as he's looking at life under the sun and saying, yes. Every one of you will experience both days of prosperity and days of adversity is this. God has made both. That God has made both the days of adversity and the days of prosperity. And here's the deal. Oftentimes we take credit, we take credit for the days of, of, of prosperity, right? Things are going well. You, you finish your work day. You're feeling real good. And you're like, man, I killed it today. I got that cell, and we're doing great. Or, man, everything, all the problems this week, done, fixed, and it's only Tuesday. Or whatever it may be, you feel like you killed it that day. Like everything is awesome, and we take credit for it. There's days when the bank account's full, and we're like, I am 
we're rolling. This is, this is great. Let's go feast and celebrate, and, and we take credit for it. There's days when our relationships are going well, and we're like, I'm such a good friend. Like, like, like we take credit for the days of prosperity. We do. But then we want to blame other people for the days of adversity. And what Solomon says is, Neither the days of prosperity or the days of adversity are ultimately on you or others, but God has made both. And in both of them, God's work is at hand. That He is at work. And he specifically says that there's no consistency to when is a day of prosperity and when is a, diverse, a day of adversity. Why? So that we wouldn't know whether tomorrow will be a day of adversity or a day of prosperity. Which immediately postures our hearts in a place of dependence upon God, be that adversity or be that prosperity in front of us. But why? Why does God give some days of prosperity and some days of adversity? Why is some days hard and some days great? Why, why are some weeks our bank accounts full and some weeks they're empty? It's all kinds of reasons. But ultimately, what Solomon wants us to hear and see is that God is at work in both days of prosperity and days of adversity to bring about restoration to the crooked things in us and in life. That He's at work in every one of them. Think about what, when we look at the hard questions of life, of, of the why things are not right, why things maybe are crooked, it's always good for us to stop and look at the most offensive, crooked, wrong thing to ever take place in history. When the one righteous man to ever live, Jesus, God in flesh, died in our place. When he laid aside his prosperity, his kingdom, his throne, to come into a world of adversity and to take all sin upon himself. That Jesus came, God at work to bring about not our current prosperity or our current adversity, but a prosperity of eternal joy ahead of us by faith in Jesus. That in seasons of prosperity, in seasons or moments or days of adversity, the gospel reminds us that God is at work for your good, even when it's a day of adversity, even when it's a hard day. That Jesus is coming to die in your place and to take sin upon Himself and to rise from the dead to secure an eternal life for you of prosperity and joy reminds us that God, even in days of adversity and even in days of prosperity, is at work for your good. For your eternal good. So what do we do about the uncertainty of the day? We don't know if tomorrow is going to be a day of adversity or a day of prosperity. And that might cause some of us to have rising anxiety. And this is what one pastor said about this. He says, living with this kind of uncertainty need not cause us anxiety or despair. Rather, it should trust us to leave our future in the hands of God. Most of us would prefer to control our own destiny. Instead, we should entrust our living to the loving care of of our sovereign God. If we do this, we will be able to prepare for the good days and for the bad days. We will be well prepared 
for the good days and the bad days. The, 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 the thing Solomon's opening up our eyes to see is that God is sovereign in both the days of prosperity and adversity. And when things are going well and things are not going well, is it enables us, because of the gospel, what Jesus has done for us, to see God as our good father on good days and bad days. And that he's at work on your behalf in good days and bad days. And so we can trust him. We can trust Him when there's plenty and we can trust Him when there's need. We can trust Him when there's more problems than we have the ability or understanding in how to solve and we can trust Him when things are going smooth. That we can trust Him when there's an unexpected kind of suffering that we experience because He has shown Himself to be our good sovereign Father who is over both the good days and the bad days. That we can trust Him. One way that we can specifically trust Him, if you've put your faith and trust in Jesus and God is your good Father, you are adopted as His son or daughter, is that when we face seasons, moments, or days of prosperity, things are going well, uh, we can praise Him. That, that our hearts in moments, seasons, days of prosperity don't look at ourselves and pat ourselves on their back or look at others for praise and admiration for what we're doing, but it moves our hearts in days when things are going well, when it's smooth, when work is fruitful, from look what I did to look at who our good God is, that He would bring fruitfulness, that He would bring joy in this day, that He would provide that it would move our hearts to praise God in days of prosperity, not to praise ourselves. And then when we face days of adversity, who God is in that moment moves our hearts to dependent need and praise. To praise God for days of adversity is a hard place to find yourself. It takes a, like, it takes a time wrestling with to get to a place where when things are going bad, when it's a day of hardship, difficulty, of hurt, of pain, for us to look at our God and say, I don't know how, but I do know who you are. And I know who I am. And I know that you are working even in days of adversity for my good. So in this difficult season, in this time of adversity, in this season of need, I'm not going to be angry at you, but I'm going to welcome it as a way of your working for my good. And one of the most helpful things I've learned in days of adversity or difficulty is to ask this question. God, I don't know what you're trying to do, but whatever it is, like, I welcome it. Like in the discomfort that I feel right now, um, how much I want this uncomfortable thing to go away, um, help me to see what you're trying to do in me. How are you trying to form me into the image of Jesus? To trust you more deeply in moments when there's adversity in front of me. For us to, in seasons and moments of adversity, not paint on a face and act like things are going well, but to humbly come before our God and say, I don't know what you're doing, but I'm going to submit to it and I know and trust that it's going to be for my good even if I don't ever see on this side of eternity the full fullness of that good. So every single one of us are going to go through or have or, or are going through days of prosperity when things are going well. And every one of us are going to go through, maybe today you're going through a day when things are not going well. 
that cause us to ask the question, like, why is, thing, why is today not going well? Why, why is today going well? What Solomon invites us to see is that God is at work in both days of adversity and days of prosperity, and we can trust Him. And that's most beautifully seen in the deepest, darkest day of adversity when Jesus Himself died in our place. God at work in pain to bring about good for His children. And the second thing that Solomon looks at in the world, the first one is uh, adversity and and prosperity. The second thing that Solomon looks at in the world, life under the sun, is the death of the righteous. It's this question that he asks, this like, why? He asks, why, why are there days of adversity and why are there days of prosperity that seem to have no rhyme or reason? The second thing he looks at is the death of the righteous. And let's read this here in verses 15 through 18. It says, in my vain life, I've seen everything. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness. And there's a wicked man who prolongs his life in his evil doing. Be not overly righteous and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Be not overly wicked, neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? It is good that you should take hold of this, and from that withhold not your hand. For the one who fears God shall come out of both of them. But Solomon looks at life, looks at the human experience and life and goes, why does the, like, Good guy die young, and the bad guy lives forever. Like, why does that happen? Like, it doesn't seem right. It seems crooked. Consider the work of God who can make straight what he has made crooked. Why do good people die young and bad people live forever, it seems? Let me tell you a story. In 2013, there was a car accident in Burleson. Um, that the news about that car accident reached national news level. Um, there was a, a, a dad, after his son's graduation party, uh, was taking some tables and chairs back to the church. He was the youth pastor of that church. And it was after 11 o'clock at night, and he noticed as they were driving down the road that there was a, a car off kind of on the shoulder-ish of this kind of country road um, that was broke down, and there's some people out around it. So he pulls over off the road. He's got his son, a friend of his son, another friend, adult friend of his uh, there, and, and he gets out to go see, hey, do you guys need help? It's super dark on this road. Let's get your car off the road. Let's, let's figure out what's going on. Let's help. Um, so he stops to help. Um, and there's a student, high school student, leaving, leaving a party, not the graduation party, but a, uh, a drunken party um, full of high school and college-age kids who are all drinking and getting drunk. And he's leaving that party at the same time um, under the influence of alcohol, going way too fast, and he crashes his car into the back of that truck, and he kills four people in that moment. Um, some of the first responders that we knew um, said it was one of the most gruesome accidents they'd ever seen in their entire life. Um, Brian Jennings was one of those people that died. He was the youth pastor at Allsbury Baptist Church. Um, prior to that, he's the youth pastor at uh, Crestmont Baptist Church in Burleson. Grew up in Burleson, was a youth pastor here for over a decade, um, giving his entire life to middle school and high school students becoming followers of Jesus. Uh, his funeral, there were over 1,200 people there. It was at the venue 510 in Burleson. It's now one of the school district's buildings. Uh, everyone mourning the passing of this righteous man, this man of God who loved Jesus that died 
in his 30s who was giving his life for the good of other people. And there was a lot of people who were rightly upset about this situation. That it didn't feel right. That all tragedies don't feel right. It seems like an injustice in the whole situation. And the other component of it that made it feel even more wrong is that the high school student who caused the accident, um, who killed those four people, uh, used a case of his parents' prosperity and wealth as a defense for his poor choices and ended up only getting 10 years probation for killing four people. Later, breaking his probation, he got a total of two years in jail for killing four people. It just doesn't seem right that a righteous, godly, loving husband, father, youth pastor would die in his 30s and the wicked person who caused that death would seemingly get off with not a whole lot. Like our, our world is filled with these kinds of stories. You see, terrorist groups kill pastors and entire churches of people, and they just keep doing it. That we see suffering, we see pain, we see good people, righteous people who, who are following God die. And we see this word here, the righteous man perishes. It doesn't mean he just dies. It, the word perish there in Hebrew means he dies when it seems like he should not be dying. All of us die. All of us will die. But the wicked person seems to live forever, and their evil doing even seems to prosper their life for a long time. And what Solomon is saying here is like, consider the work of God. Like, what, where is God at in this? Like, why does the righteous man die what seems to be too early? Well, the wicked person seems to live long. Like, like what's happening here? And, and this is... This is huge questions. These are massive questions that you might have wrestled with and that most people in our culture who think about God, who think about uh, life, who maybe they have a philosophical bent, are asking this question. Why? Like, why does it seem good prevails over evil, or evil prevails over good? Why does it seem to be that way? What do we do with this? What do we do with this, this seeming, not maybe every time, but happening at least some frequency where the good person dies when it feels like they shouldn't have and the evil person seems to get away with their rebellion? How do we reconcile with that? And Solomon, as he walks through this, there's a level of under the sun worldly wisdom that he kind of presents of like, so just don't be either. <laughs> don't be overly righteous and don't be super wicked. Just kind of ride the middle line and you'll be all right. And it would seem like he's giving some weird form of wisdom. But, uh, but in this, Solomon's unveiling two ways of life that both lead to destruction. And he says, be not overly righteous. And think about that, that, that phrase for a minute. Overly righteous. Is it even possible to be too holy? Like in the eyes of God, can a person be overly righteous? 
No. The word righteous means to be without sin. There's no overage. It's like the word perfect. You can't be more perfect. Perfect's the end of the line, right? Like, it doesn't get better than perfect. To be overly righteous, Solomon's saying here is, don't be self-righteous. Thinking that by being a morally good person, you're going to prolong your life. It's not true. Don't be overly self-righteous, believing that by being morally good, obeying what God has said, that your life will be good and life and long. And what he's saying here is not how it works. The moral don't live longer. And then he also says, don't be overly wicked. Don't be extremely wicked in rebellion. That neither one of those are the way of life. That being self-righteous and being wicked, even overly wicked, will not prevent you from death or the end, destruction. But there is a way to come through both. He says in verse 18, For the one who fears God shall come out from both of them. She'll come out of either early death or long life death. To put it this way, um, the fear of the Lord, a, a, a submission to Him, a, a reverence for God and his, his work in life to bring about righteousness, submission to that which is faith in Jesus, leads us away from self-righteousness and leads us away from rebellion and wickedness into faith that will carry you through this life to an eternity, to an eternal life. That the way to long life is not self-righteousness, a moral purity, and the way to a long life is not wickedness and rebellion, but it is faith in God. That faith in Jesus, God's Son who was sent into the world to die in your place, to take your sin upon Himself, faith in His sacrifice in your place, is a righteousness that is not your own, but is given to you. It's not overly self-righteous. It's a gifted righteousness by faith alone that will carry you beyond life. And you think about it like this. Uh, death is not something anybody's typically looking forward to. Uh, but, but for Brian Jennings, who had faith and trust in Jesus, who thousands of people look at and go, that's a tragedy, should not have happened. I, I, I would... The Bible brings clarity to this reality. Brian Jennings died, and because of his faith in Jesus went to heaven with God forever. His eternity secured by the righteousness of God given to him by faith in Jesus. And I bet Brian Jennings in heaven wasn't going, man, I wish I was back on earth for another 30 years. That no one who has faith in Jesus who dies, whenever they die, look back at their life as small or as long as it may have been and go, man, can I get some more of that? No, because the gospel of Jesus secures for us an eternity 
without suffering, without pain, without tragedy, be that our life's 30 years or 85 or 105 or whatever it may be, that the gospel makes a way through death into eternal life by faith in Jesus alone. So we don't have to fear death. We don't have to seek to lead a life of self-righteousness, thinking that our life here now in this world will be longer if we live according to a certain set of moral principles. Like just clarify, don't do dumb stuff. You typically don't get hurt. That's kind of typically how the world works, but there's also, you know, like tragedy that happens that throws a wrench into that. Yeah. But what Solomon's saying here for us, what the whole of the, the Bible and the gospel says for us is this. The way through death is not self-righteousness and is not wickedness. It's not be religious and prolong your life now or enjoy it and be wicked now. But faith in Jesus turns our eyes off of however long this life might be to an eternal future that's far better than any life we could have no matter how long it would be here. That what we see as an injustice by faith in Jesus is a welcomed reality, eternity, forever. That the gospel makes faith in Jesus, the gospel, gives us a righteousness that turns our eyes beyond how long or how short our life might be. And I, I get it. Like, I want to see every single one of my kids married. I want to hold their kids and I want to like sing to them and celebrate when they do whatever they want to do when they get older. And I want to like do all those things. I want to live till I'm old, but not too old, right? So most of us think. I want to experience all of those good things. But life under the sun, living for what this life is right now, is like settling when our righteousness because of Jesus has secured us a far better eternity. And that Solomon's words for us here is, yeah, it seems oddly crooked that a good man would die young, but a man who has faith in Jesus on the other side of death doesn't look back and go, man, I wish I'd lived longer there. We feel that now, yes. But the gospel... What Jesus has done for us secures us life beyond this life. What seems crooked, the gospel brings comfort in. What seems crooked, God is at work to make straight for all of eternity. The third thing we see here, so we saw... Um, the, consider the work of God in prosperity and, and adversity. We see, consider the work of God in the death of the righteous. And the third thing we see is, consider the work of God in the, the way of mankind. And let's read verses 19 through 26. He says in verse 19, and just to clarify, this feels like when you read it, we'll read it in a few minutes, like none of these things connect together. Just hang with me. Wisdom gives strength to the wise more than ten rulers who are in a city. Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Do not take to heart all the things that people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. Your heart knows that many times you yourself 
cursed others. All this I have tested by wisdom. I said, I will be wise, but it was far from me. That which has been, all, it has been is far off and deep and very deep. Who can find it out? I turned my heart to know and to search out and to seek wisdom and the scheme of things and to know the wickedness of folly and the foolishness that is madness. And I find something more bitter than death, the woman whose heart is snares and nets and whose hands are fetters. He who pleases God escapes her, but the sinner is taken by her. That Solomon turns his eyes from looking at prosperity and adversity. He turns his eyes from looking at what seems like an inconsistency in the moral person dying young and the wicked person living long to looking at the general mankind state, to look at how mankind lives. All under this umbrella of who can make straight what God has made crooked. Then he starts to begin and look and he's going, okay, if God created all the things that are under the sun, which he did, and in Genesis it tells us that he created all of them good, what do we see in God's work in mankind? When we look at mankind, the pinnacle of God's creation, the crowning jewel of all of his creation, what he says is very good. What does Solomon see inside of mankind? He sees crookedness. He sees that mankind is crooked. And not like they're a crook, but like they have a bent that is not good. That they are not straight or righteous. They are unrighteous. There is a bent in mankind. And he walks through a few different aspects of this. He says in two different spots, he says in verse 20, Surely there's not a righteous man on earth who does, not, or who does good and never sins. He just lays it out. There's no person, no man in all the world who never sins. And if we were to stop for a few moments and go, okay, well, is he counting me? Yes. Right? Like, to do an assessment of, have you sinned? Yes. To even do an assessment of, okay, have I ever interacted with another person who's never sinned? Nope. <laughs> no. And he doesn't leave it at just men. The end of this, which can get kind of confusing and kind of weird, he's talking about women and the heart and the snare and the nest and whose hands are fetters and all this stuff. And he continues down in the end uh, and he talks about uh, how he's not found a woman among the world who's without sin in verse 27. Uh, he's saying it's not just men who are wicked and crooked. It's women too. That every single human being, that the way of mankind is crooked, that it is unrighteous, that if God is good and God created all things, why is the crown jewel of his creation jacked up? That's essentially his question. Like, why is the heart of man bent towards sin crooked if God created him and God is good? And he goes into a few different aspects or ways that we see this in, in slander and hypocrisy. He talks about, um, don't take to heart the things that people say, or you're going to hear somebody curse you, and it's going to hurt. But then also, wait a second, I do that. I, I, I say hurtful things at other people. That we're hurt by the words of others, but we're guilty of doing the very same thing, of hurting others. 
And then he goes and talks about sexual sin. That he goes so far as to say, sexual sin is such a big deal that it's more bitter than even death itself. That it's a, a trap. A trap that mankind's heart is bent towards. Crooked towards. Entrapped by. And if God created mankind good, why are we bent towards such destructive sins that bitterness is more bitter than death itself? Why do we seek out destructive ways? Why is this bent inside of mankind if God is good and He created us? Well, He continues and He, he closes the chapter giving us, at the beginning of verse 13, consider the work of God. Who can make, way, make straight what He has made crooked? And He finishes it by unpacking this a little bit more. By giving a kind of a tie and a bow on the end of it. In verse 27 He says this, Behold, this is what I found. And his look at the crooked things under the sun. This is what I found, says the preacher. Well, adding one thing to another to find out the scheme of things, which is the way or, or the, the plan or the plot of things, why things happen the way they are, which my soul has sought repeatedly, but I have not found. One man among a thousand I found, but a woman among these I have not found. See, this alone I have found. This is, the, this is the, the punchline of Solomon's analysis of the crooked things in the world. This is the only thing that I found, that God made man upright. But they have sought out many schemes. That Solomon, in considering the work of God in mankind, says this, God made man righteous. God made man upright, straight. That when God created Adam and Eve, He made them without sin. Right and just. But mankind seeks out evil plots. That word schemes, at the end, is a different word that He talks about in the previous verses. The previous verses, when He uses the word scheme, it's the word plan. Like, I'm trying to figure out what God's doing, what His plan is. This word means evil schemes, evil plots. It says, God made man upright, but mankind, because of sin, seek out evil things. So when we consider the work of God in mankind, we find God is not to blame for our wickedness, but our own sin. Bending us towards destructive, sinful ways is to blame. We can't blame God for the crooked things that we desire, want, do. We can't blame others for it. Our, our own, inside of mankind, crookedness is because we seek out because of sin, evil plots and evil things. So what has God done? So we see God is the one who gives prosperity and the one who gives adversity. We see 
that God has been at work to provide a way that's not self-righteousness, do-gooder, and not rebellion, to have life beyond this one. Uh, so what has God done about the unrighteousness, the sinfulness of man? Solomon, looking at life under the sun, doesn't answer this question for us here. But when we zoom out and look at the entirety of the Bible, we see what God has been at work doing. That God has been at work in the gospel to make straight what we, because of our sin, have made crooked. That God is at work in the gospel to make straight mankind. This is what Romans 3 verses 23 through 26 says. It'll be up on the screen. On the screen. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If you want to read the first part of chapter 3, it says almost verbatim some of the phrases Solomon says here. None is righteous, no, not one. No one sees good, no one does. Yeah, that whole thing. It says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified, made right, made straight, no longer crooked, by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. That was, this was to show God's righteousness, His straightness, because in His divine forbearance, He passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time, so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So what do we, how do we consider the work of God in the crookedness of man? That God, from the beginning of time, when man sinned, has been at work to make straight what we have made crooked. To make unrighteous righteous. To justify, to make straight the crooked heart of man. God has been at work to restore the crookedness that sin has brought about in our world and in our hearts. Through Jesus. That by faith in Him, we are made straight, righteous, just before God. By faith alone, God in Jesus has provided the way for mankind who is crooked to be made straight. By faith in Jesus. And every one of us is crooked. Every one of us before we put our faith and trust in Jesus, are unrighteous. We are sinful. We are guilty. But God gave Jesus as a gracious gift that by His death He would take upon your sin, paying its penalty as a sacrifice. The wages of sin is death. So that your faith in Jesus would leave you without sin, straight, no longer crooked, for all of eternity securing for you in His resurrection an eternal life that is waiting for you. And a fullness of joy as we become more like Him in the life we live here today. If you haven't put your faith and trust in Jesus, my encouragement to you would be, don't wait to believe the gospel that God in His grace has sent Jesus to be your righteousness, to take you crooked and sinful and make you straight, sinless, by faith alone in Jesus. To confess Him as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead today so that you might be saved. And then the second thing I'd encourage you to is if you've put your faith and trust in Jesus, 
is to know and believe that because He has secured you as, your, as His son or daughter, that times of prosperity and times of adversity, that times of death and sorrow and grief, that times of, uh, of experiencing the crooked heart of men, be it our own or others, are, are means by which God is using to progressively restore your current self into the image of Jesus. To trust Him. That he, is, he has secured your eternity and He's at work now to bring about your restoration. To every single day, make straight one more board. To every single day in times of adversity and prosperity, in times of loss, in times when we face our own sin and when we fail, that He is at work in you, His son or daughter, to make you more into the image of Jesus which is, a, is your delight, is your good. So how, I, I, how do we reconcile the mystery of how God works in what seem like crooked things in life? The gospel, what Jesus has done for us, shows us what God is at work to do. He's at work to secure for us an eternity where there is no crookedness where there is no loss, where there is no pain, where there is no adversity. And by faith, He freely gives it to us. The Gospel is how God is working to make crooked things straight for all of eternity. And He gives us the perseverance in the Gospel to endure crooked things and persevere until that eternity. I don't know if you're experiencing today some level of adversity that causes you to have these kinds of questions, like, where is God in this? Why is this happening? If so, I want to encourage you that we would love to sit and talk, pray, hear, listen. And after we finish here just now, we're going to sing some songs, and we'd love to talk with you, to answer any questions if possible, to hear, to pray with in the midst of those hard moments in those crooked moments of life that you may be experiencing today. And Pastor Brandon, myself, and a couple of our ladies will be in the back of the room as we respond. And we'd love to sit with you, talk with you, pray for you. If you need to put your faith and trust in Jesus, my encouragement would be do so today, to confess Him as Lord, to believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead for your eternity, to make you crooked into you straight forever. God has been at work since the foundations of the world to make crooked things straight. Ultimately in Jesus. And we can trust Him. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank You so much for being a restoring good God. That You aren't content with crooked things. That You don't uh, turn Your eyes and ignore hard moments in life, but you are presently active at work to bring restoration to crooked things. So God, would you help us to trust you when things hurt, when we feel the crookedness of our own hearts, the crookedness of death, the crookedness of 
the ebbs and flow of life? Would you help us to trust you as our good Father who secured us our eternity and who's at work in our restoration? God, would you help us to trust you, to trust you today? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.